Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Tim Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. It's our show! We've got another case study Sunday and we're very pleased to be joined by Te Kahukura, who is the host of the Māori Millionaire podcast. Te Kahukura, welcome along to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Kia ora. And Andrew, tell us about how we found out about Te Kahukura and how she's joined us. So one of uh, the listeners of the podcast and a, an investor that I work with, Jason, who always keeps me abreast of everything that's going on with social media and stuff, which is awesome, sent me a link and said, you should listen to this girl. She's got a great story and would love to hear her journey on your podcast. So that morning, I listened to about three or four of the uh, podcasts on the way into the office and the way back home. And I thought, this girl's great. So I flicked her an email. And within about 30 seconds, had an email back said, I'd love to come on your show. How good. So Takahu Kura, give us a wee intro. Tell us about yourself and which part of the country you come from. Yeah, so Kira uh, ora So I was raised in Ahuriringa, Takahu But I live in Kirikiriroa in Hamilton now. And I'm sitting at the University of Waikato. Yeah, I founded the Māori Millionaire podcast and blog about 18 months ago. And it's all part of a mission to just help inspire and encourage Māori to learn more about personal finance, investing and entrepreneurship. And it sounded like the background of your story is you come from a pretty normal family. It sounded like your parents had given you, I think I remember you telling me a bit about your mum teaching you about pocket money or money through pocket money. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So I was raised, my mum's a solo mum and she was on the benefit for probably like the early stages of my life. And so Throughout that time, I think she really knuckled down on her kind of financial journey. She ended up buying her first home and I was kind of on that journey with her. So like as a little girl, I was going to her lawyer's appointments and her open home viewings with her. And so that was kind of the start of my journey, I guess, of just being able to see the difference and opportunities she was able to have, you know, by being a beneficiary. And then she ended up working. And so that for me was a really interesting journey to be able to just grow and learn and see what really is possible through money. And so you're, I think, at 19 now or 20 now, you're quite young? Yeah, I'm 19, 20 in a month. Awesome. And and you're saving towards your first house at the moment, is that right? I had my first appointment with my bank yesterday about my first home. And so the lady on the phone said, you know, if I keep on doing what I'm doing at the moment, just saving for that deposit and stuff, it could look maybe in 12, 12 months, a bit longer, look at getting into my first home, which is really exciting. Awesome. And at the moment, I think I remember you saying that you've got like kind of your goal boards and tell the listeners about that because I found that really interesting. Yeah, so there's a few different goals. My goal for the end of this year is to generate $100,000 through my business, which is an ambitious goal, but I'm tracking towards it. And then I want to have a net worth of a million dollars by the time I'm 25. So both very ambitious goals, but I have a plan and I think it will be possible. So you're a student at the moment. Walk us through how you're able to save so aggressively as a student. So I keep my finances quite separate. So we've got my personal income and that's, you know, through my study link and working part-time, things like that. And then my business is is kept separately and taxed separately. So that's how I'm able to kind of boost my income. And yeah, I really think you can't save aggressively unless you have that boost in income. I think it's much better to kind of focus on boosting your income than to be kind of like really like be a coin pincher and be like oh I don't want to spend money on this like it's much better to focus on increasing your income I feel. Yeah we say that all the time like there's just a cost of living so if you want to actually have a reasonable life and and sometimes enjoy going out for dinner or little treats or going away on holiday for the weekend 
you don't want to sacrifice those things so much that you have a miserable life. So it's much easier to go out there and, and generate an extra income, which requires a bit of hustle, but obviously you've got that. And actually one of the episodes I was telling Ed about it, you had your partner on and you were talking about the goal board and how you're achieving these goals together. And you said, and how are we going to get to that goal? And he thought for a minute and he said, we need to be smart. And you, and you, did, you did exactly what Ed does to me. <laughs> Laugh yeah, obnoxiously. Yeah, laughed and said, <laughs> no, that's not what, I, that, yes, you do, but that's not what I'm looking for here. And then he said, get a job. And you were getting him to increase his income by getting an extra job. Did he, get, did he find a job in the, by the end? Yes, he did. He's, he's actually taking up, like, I think he's working six days this week. So he's got, like, two rostered shifts a week. And every shift on top of that is time and a half. So I'm like, yes, yes, go. Good work. work. <laughs> and, and so how long have you guys been together? And how's this journey worked collectively? So we've been together since we were, like, 16. Um, so we're high school sweethearts. And now we're studying at uni together but it's it's definitely me pushing the the <laughs> finance things I'm all into that he's more into gaming and, and motorbikes and things but I think <laughs> with our, our combination he's in for the short term I'm in for the long term I think we might be able to make something work hopefully. <laughs> so why do you want to be a millionaire at 25? Why is that important to you? I think the idea of being a millionaire really stemmed from reading all of these books about finances as a young person and what I saw was that money opens up so many doors, but what I didn't see were black millionaires, or I didn't see indigenous millionaires, Maori millionaires. Like all of the books that I've read were about Europeans or, you know, American stories that I just really couldn't relate to. And so part of my journey is actually being able to be that person for other kids that were like me, wanting to just see that it really is possible to be a minority and to be able to generate wealth and so that age of 25 is just really it's it's an overly ambitious goal to be able to help inspire motivate people that are watching my journey and you know if slash when I reach it it'll be cool to be like you know this mother girl was able to do it I can do it as well. Especially coming from a background where a solo mum was on the benefit and just I'm sure struggling to make ends meet and then for you to come from that to be able to do your mother really proud and and uh, and become a millionaire by 25 is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's something in, in that idea of being your own case study. So, I mean, I often think about, for myself, oh, God, we're getting into the touchy feels now, is, yeah, I've got a certain value set. I believe that basically you can come from anywhere, be anybody, but you can make something of yourself if you really apply yourself. Come from a similar background to yourself, single mother, getting quite a bit of government support with four kids. And I often think, you know, if you really believe that anybody can can do anything and can become something and make something of themselves, you've got to be your own case study to prove to yourself that those values are correct. And it kind of sounds, you know, different, but somewhat similar as well. One of the other things that struck me in one of your podcasts is you were talking about how you're cutting down some of that frivolous spending. So again, while you're not giving up everything, I, I think your Achilles heel, I think where there was the takeaways. And you're saying that you ate out a lot or something like that. And so you're cutting down a lot of those. Tell us about that stuff. Well, evidently, I'm still participating in a bit of that takeaway <laughs> culture. Um, but <laughs> but I am making more of an effort to be a bit more well-rounded and a bit more holistic when it comes to a wealth journey. Just knowing that you know a wealth journey does involve that, that health side as well. But also takeaways are so expensive. So I think... When I was in high school, I used to go to the takeaways like almost every day and would, would just get something small like every day. So that's a, a habit I've definitely killed. And now I'm like, 
no, once a week max, maximum. So what are you doing to replace that habit? I've been really loving my time in the kitchen and learning how to cook. I've been watching lots of like TikTok videos of cooking and just really trying to create a passion like of just actually going, oh, what does this flavor do? And, you know, actually cooking things at home, it's really fun and it's way cheaper in the long run and it's better for you. So one thing I'm interested in is what's something you've learned about money that you think other people should know? Definitely this concept of leverage. I love the concept of leverage when we're talking about property and that's one difference that I'm able to see now um, because I have invested in the stock market. But being able to see that when you borrow money, you're able to invest, you know, all of that money. So I think that's a really cool concept that a lot of people don't really understand. And you're based in Hamilton at the moment. So when you are able to buy your your first home, are you going to look at Hamilton or are you going to look at some of the cheaper regions? Have you thought about that yet? Yeah. So luckily my family's based in Tokoroa and in Tokoroa we have really low cost of buying a first home. So I think you can get you know, like a three-bedroom property for like 350k at the moment. Um, So that's where I'm looking to buy. And even if I were to commute to Hamilton, if I were working in Hamilton, I'm not sure what I'm going to be up to, but it's only an hour drive to Hamilton. So, you know, that's what Aucklanders do on a day. One thing that's really evident to me is that there are a number of choices that you're making that are very practical that some people would shy away from. So when you're talking about, okay, I want to spend money, so I need more of it. Well, that's fine. I'll just go get a part-time job and I'll force my boyfriend to go get a part-time job and then I'll start a business because I want to increase my income. And then you're saying, well, okay, I want to buy a house, you know, and I want to buy it by the time I'm 21, 22. Okay, I can't afford to buy in Hamilton. Oh, it doesn't matter. I'll just buy a house an hour away where property prices are cheaper and I'll just commute because what does an hour commute matter? People elsewhere in Auckland do that. And it's really fascinating. There are a lot of Kiwis who would look at those choices and say, no, I'm not doing that. That's too hard. No, I don't want to get that part-time job. No, I don't want to live an hour away. There are always excuses, but you kind of look at, um, I I love the attitude that you're like, oh, that's okay. I'll just move an hour away, buy a cheaper house. No excuses. Yeah, no excuses. Where do you think that comes from? Oh, definitely my mum. She's a no excuse mum. And I remember growing up, I was definitely, I was a nerdy, nerdy kid, like extra nerdy. And I used to think that like doing well in school was the coolest thing ever. And I used to ask for, you know, all these random books. And even when she was on the benefit, she would never say no to me. She would always say, yes, darling, let's find a way. And so one of those was when I asked, crazily, um, to have French lessons, clearly not in the budget, but she had a French lady at work. And so I started tutoring her in Te Reo Māori and she taught me French in exchange. So that's where that no excuse thing comes from. My mum always said yes, and we just found a way. Well, you don't need a lot of money to be a good parent, do you? <laughs> no. And what does the future for your business look like? Because it's a, it's a fascinating business. For sure. I have been really enjoying my time so far, so I'm kind of dipping into all the different pots and seeing what kind of mahi I really enjoy to do. Some of the things that I have enjoyed is running workshops for adults. I did do some in schools, which was a bit daunting. Kids are really honest, um, and that was a bit scary. I prefer the adults, but running those workshops was really exciting for me. I love the social media work, and one day I might be as cool as you guys and be able to do some like daily episodes. That would be cool. Fantastic. And if you want to check out what Tikahukura is doing, just go Google the Māori Millionaire Podcast. You can also find her website. She's doing a lot of cool stuff. 
even gets invited to speak with the FMA. Hey, look, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want to come on Case Study Sunday, we are always looking for new people. You don't have to be working with Opus Partners to come on. Send me an email, editopuspartners.co.nz, or flick us a message on Instagram. listening to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Epic Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. We're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.